Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. This is Brad Block from the Physician's Guide to Doctoring Podcast, and this will be my last month here. But if you like what you've heard, you can continue to find me at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or just search for Physician's Guide to Doctoring on any podcast player. As for the Financial Residency, they have some interesting ideas planned, so make sure you stay tuned for more great content. And now for the podcast. Eric Gantworker, MD, MS. MMSC, FACS, is a pediatric otolaryngologist at Cohen Children's Hospital at Northwell Health Hofstra, Associate Professor of Otolaryngology at Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell, and Vice President, Medical Director at LevelX is a medical video game company that utilizes game technology and psychology to create interactive educational experiences for healthcare professionals. As the medical director, he oversees all the medical and educational functions of the company, including strategy, design, and development, and efficacy studies. So what do we talk about? Video games. And which is his favorite role-player game and first-person shooter? Okay, not really. We talk about the origins of Level X, how he became a part of it, and the advantages of practicing challenging colonoscopies on your phone with Level X. Dr. Gantwerger holds a Master of Medical Science in Medical Education with a focus on educational technology, educational research, cognitive science of learning, and curriculum development from Harvard Medical School, and a Master of Science in Physiology and Biophysics from Georgetown University. Gantworker's clinical focus includes complex air digestive disorders, airway reconstruction, children with tracheostomies, persistent obstructive sleep apnea, and quality improvement. Please enjoy this interview with Dr. Gantworker. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Dr. Eric Gantworker, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. I've been awake all night waiting for this. <laughs> Probably because you can hear my kids screaming because you live like a mile away from me. Literally. Which is a little ridiculous that we're recording this remotely, but here we are. We could be having like a cocktail and some bourbon and doing this live, but instead we're doing it a mile away from each other. That's a great idea. We should do that next time. We already talked about it. We're going to have a follow-up episode. Yes. That's version two. <laughs> Physicians love a good side hustle, right? It seems like everyone's got something cooking. So my question for you is, which one is the side hustle? Because I feel like both of your jobs are main hustles. I always tell people I have two part-time jobs that are both full-time jobs. So really, they're both the main job. The side hustles, the other stuff that I'm interested in do on the side. But you know, I, I feel like I've lived this razor's edge between academic medicine practicing clinician and working in this tech world and innovation world. For a while, I was pretty much gung-ho academics. And then this opportunity came and I started in this space where I thought it was going to be 10 to 15 years down my career where I got these opportunities and it came really early in my career. And I had to make this decision about, is this side hustle going to be something more permanent? You know, in 2018, I sort of took the jump to increase my clinical load to live on this razor's edge. And I'm going to ride it as long as humanly possible. As long as your department's okay with it, right? I walk in being very open and honest with everything. And I've lived this life now since 2018. So about three, four years now. 
it's been great. People are entertained. I think if I was doing something a little bit crazier, they'd be like, nah, but they're like, I make video games every other day. And they're like, okay, that's kind of cool. You can keep doing that. Especially since you're a pediatric otolaryngologist. My experience, I'm sure, is the same as yours with COVID. Kids stop having holds. And when kids stop having colds, they stop having adenotonsillar hypertrophy and ear infections. So a lot of your business dries up too. So then you've got this other thing to rely on. Absolutely. It was really good job security because actually during COVID, there was some job security concerns, especially for Pizzotto when there was zero ear tubes to be done. Yeah. So what is Level X? Let's start from the ground up. So we basically identify ourselves as a medical video game studio is the best way to put us. I think the best way to describe us is we're basically taking this psychology and the technology from the games industry and applying it to medical content in a way that we can reimagine how people experience medical information and learn and keep up to date in their lifelong learning skills. That's really kind of the gist of it. Pilots do simulations before they have to fly a plane. They've got to log a certain number of hours before they're allowed to do that. And with us, they're just like, hold hook a couple of times. Yeah, literally. You've seen it. You can do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. C1, do one. There we go. You saw that composite resection. You got this. (laughs) So with that whole side hustle, there are a lot of burned out physicians, unhappy physicians, and they're all looking for their exit strategy. You're kind of the opposite. You love everything. You love both of it. But still, a lot of people are going to see your position there and go, man, how could I do that? So how did you end up there in this position? That's a really funny story. And I also caveat it with that there was literally people coming out of the woodworks that I haven't talked to in 10, 15 years who literally called me and asked me that question. How did you do it? You know, physicians were burning out in their day to day. They were just done with it. And so this story was sort of kind of my interest in finding out other people's origin stories. But my origin story was that after I finished my clinical training, I was in Boston and I heard about a new master's program and master's in medical education. I investigated doing a bunch of them. And because it was sort of early on in the evolution of this master's program, I pretty much make it whatever I wanted to. So I was like, I'm in Boston. I'm going to take as many classes as I can. And so I was taking classes at the medical school, the graduate school, the global health school, the business school. And I actually took some classes at MIT as well as in game-based learning. And I really got interested in educational technology. And so as I went through this coursework, I really started to gain these skills that were sort of unique in the sense that I was learning about game-based learning. I was learning about educational technology and I was a pediatric ENT. And so I had an interesting opportunity there. And when I came out of training, I started getting phone calls from programs or companies really that were interested in having me advise. The Level X was one of them who said, hey, we have this video game and we have this airway game. And I was an airway specialist or an interest in airway. And they said, can you be an advisor for us to look at our stuff, make sure it looks accurate, it's credible, it's interesting, and people will enjoy it and people will play it. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then there was an online video surgical journal that also reached out to me through some folks that I know, also in ENT. And I just started getting some consulting opportunities and I really liked them. And then as I got some consulting opportunities, more consulting opportunities came down the line and continue to come down the line because of people hear about the stuff that I'm doing and they're interesting. And it's interesting because 
everything adjacent to the technology you're actually doing, people will reach out to you about. So if you're doing stuff in one interesting technology area, they assume you do it in all interesting technology areas. So I've gotten a lot of very disparate opportunities. And as everybody always says, I'm very fortunate and very lucky to be in the position I'm in. Well, what is it they say about luck? It's uh, opportunity meets preparation. You got it. And timing. Timing, yeah. Honestly, Level X started end of 2015, early 2016. And I was just finishing my master's program at the same time. So it is a lot about putting yourself in the right space, giving yourself a tangible skill set, and having really good timing. Better to be lucky than good. You got it. (laughs) Okay. So you go into a little more detail about Level X, like what games are available? Who's your audience? Well, clearly physicians. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, that was the original impetus for it was, you know, our mission is to advance the practice of medicine through play. And so basically the way that our company works is we really felt that, and our CEO, Sam, who started the company really felt that the way that people were experiencing education and medical content was very antiquated, right? You would have to fly to CME courses. You'd have to pay for CME. And really the games industry, when it started, really knew the model of having arcades was archaic. And we knew that when games got into your household that you played more games. And then eventually it got on your phone and you literally have a computer that could put a space shuttle on the moon in your pocket. And why not use that technology to change the way that people can access medical information and change the way that they enjoy content through games. And that was sort of the nexus of what Level X was. And when Sam started back in 2015, it was a pet project with his father, who's an anesthesiologist in Chicago at the time, who wanted to train his residents on flexible fiber optic intubation and said, hey, Sam, can you put together a game to train my fellows and residents? And he said, yeah. So he spent three weekends. Sam you know, has a history in graphics and game design and software engineering or computer science. And he put this together, put it in the app store and found out later that a bunch of people had downloaded it. They were doing studies on it and there were publications about it. And he was like, this is a real opportunity here. So when he started, he started with Airway, which was uh, sort of our first project. And that was focused on flexible fiber optic intubation, rapidly expanded into other areas of anesthesia, and then quickly followed with gastroenterology and then eventually pulmonology, cardiology, and most recently dermatology. And so basically these core games we develop for certain specialists and primarily focused on practicing clinicians the CME space, the continuing professional development space, because those are the folks that are engaging lifelong learning. There's not a lot of solutions for those people. It's more traditional, go to a conference, pay for the CME, go to grand rounds. There wasn't a lot of products for those individuals. It was mostly medical students and residents that had a lot of commercial products, but attending physicians really didn't have that many opportunities to do this. The thing that you should say it that way, because I would think that the market would be in the same way that Sam's dad wanted it designed to train residents, I would think that's who it would be for. I mean, you have a gastroenterologist who's trained and skilled in endoscopy. What are you then teaching an attending physician? Well, the same thing that any attending physician engages in lifelong learning through CME, the most times that they engage with sort of these cases is reading journal articles or going to conferences, listening about this crazy case that I saw The idea of games is that you can experience that crazy case instead of reading about it or looking about it. 
Okay, so it's navigating challenging cases. Got it. It's not just getting the skill set of endoscopy. Got it. Exactly. And in fact, if you play our games, especially our more action-focused games, like our Palm and, and Airway games, you have to have a base understanding of what's going on. Action-focused? Yeah. That sounds terrifying. Action-focused anesthesiology? Absolutely. I mean, if you play our games, I promise you, check your heart rate because yeah. there is a pulse ox in there. You and me both as ENTs, you know, in the back of your head, you can tell when the pulse ox is going down and your heart rate will go up as the pulse ox goes down. I can guarantee you, you play our games and that will happen to you. In fact, one of our sound engineers went into an actual OR. We got him into an actual OR to record the level and the pitch of the pulse ox at different levels. And now our games now feature that. So it's actually real, the sounds that you're hearing. And when the pulse ox drops, I promise you, you will respond accordingly. But the idea was that we can have these peer submitted content that people can experience through the games. And you can actually play through instead of hearing from the experts. But you know, even our cardiology game, which is interventional cardiology, you have to know some basics about what you're looking at, how to navigate the wire, what sort of order of operations is when you're placing a stent or you're ballooning a stenosis, right? So there's some base knowledge that's built in. So when you even play our games, you'll realize that it's sort of more fine-tuned for the practicing clinician. We're not there to teach you how to do a bronchoscopy. We assume you already know that, but have you ever seen a nail embedded in the right bronchus and had to take that out while it was trying to bleed and the patient was desaturating, right? So those are the cases that we're trying to feature, at least in those types of games. We have more knowledge-based games as well, besides the procedural-based games. But attending physicians were long sort of forgotten in that space because the old ways of doing things were working for everybody may not be the most efficient way to learn, which we'll talk about next time. So it's interesting that you guys went to derm next because I would think urology yeah. because lasering stones actually looks like a video game, which is what, Correct. you know, when I was a resident and we'd have medical students rotating through, I'd talk to them, you know, we'd talk about different specialties. You know, urology would always be like, yeah, you get to play a video game as long as you're aware that you've got someone's junk in your left hand while you're <laughs> operating the joystick and the laser with your right hand, like it actually looks like a video game. So the derm I thought was interesting because the rest of it's endoscopy, right? Derm. Right. So what is the derm game? Yeah. So the derm game was a different way for us to showcase game mechanics, right? Because there's all different kinds of games. There's action games, there's strategy games, there's puzzle games, there's matching game. Everybody who plays Candy Crush can attest to that. There's physics game, uh, physics puzzles games, which is some of the stuff we do. As we come out with new specialties, we invest in new technology and new game types. And so dermatology was a image analysis game that is more or less challenges for you from a cognitive standpoint, from an analytical judgment and medical decision-making standpoint, that was very different from what of our procedural games were. The decision to go into different specialties is a very complex decision. Um, you know, we still haven't gone into ENT yet. Uh, and I've been there for, you know, five, six years. Yeah. A fess, a fess, fess a seems fess, like absolutely. the perfect, absolutely. like you can alter like how low the skull base is. You can alter some yeah. of the other Anodi cells, like there's all sorts of different variables that you can, Absolutely, it would seem, but there aren't that many of us that I think is part of the problem. When you're talking about a 
business, right? Their numbers do matter. So that's only one of the things that goes into us, into the decisions. The decisions really is sort of where is our technology right now? Where is the need? And where are the opportunities for us to make a difference? Because again, we're trying to give access and democratize information, right? Because our games are all free. You can free, you can get CME, free to download, free to play. There's no freemium model. There's no subscription. There's nothing you have to pay. There's no knowing things about it. So that is a totally different model. And so when we're going through different specialties, there's some business considerations, but really it's needs-based and where our technology is going. And so dermatology was a great opportunity to try something completely different. When we did airway, it was, okay, hey, can we do some kind of procedure on your iPhone? And the answer was yes. And then when we went into pulmonology, it was, can you do puzzle physics games? When we did gastroenterology, it was, can you do soft body physics, which surprisingly is extremely difficult, which maybe we can talk about another time, but soft body physics is very hard to do in a simulation game. What is soft body physics? Soft body physics is squishy stuff. (laughs) So the GI game gastro is colonoscopy. So when you push on the wall, the ball gives, right? As opposed to hard body physics, like bone, cutting bone is really a relatively easier problem in graphics and games than a soft body physics, which is notoriously difficult. And then we also had a real-time fluid simulator running on your iPhone in gastro. So every new specialty we came into, cardio, it was x-ray. So we're actually passing real x-ray wavelength light through a model. So when you see the x-ray of the heart, it's actually showing up as it would in real life because the parameters of the calcifications and the densities all show up because we don't pre-program what it looks like. It's not painted. It's actually a human model that we tell it the parameters of the different lesions. And as x-rays pass through, it'll show as it does in real life, because it has to have that relatively realistic look for a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist, to be able to tell, you know, how calcified is this lesion? How hard is it going to be to break? All those types of things. But if you had to paint every single lesion, we would not be able to create a lot of content, right? So in a year, or, you know, I think it was eight to 10 months, we created 25 levels in cardio X. And in a week, we created another 25 levels. Because of the investment in the technology, we could scale and add cases very, very quickly. And same thing with our dermatology game, we actually created the ability to simulate real skin lesions on any color skin using a computer generated image. So we can actually do photorealistic dermatology diseases, especially on skin of color, because there's not a lot of those. There's a very well-known dearth of that type of content for dermatologists to study. And so, hey, why don't we use the technology of games to be able to solve that problem? And also, we're all used to zooming in and zooming out on our phones. So when you're zooming out, that's the same motion as when you're popping pimples. So for the dermatologist, I would imagine that's, it's like whack-a-mole, only they're popping. We need a pimple popper app for sure. Exactly. (laughs) I actually think there already is one. (laughs) I'm sure she's- We should reach out to those folks. She's got an incredible (laughs) PR team. She's got a a great mind for marketing. So I'm sure (laughs) she's in games. What's the difference between a video game and a simulation? That is a great, great question. You're not a real podcast guest until you've said 
That is a great question. Thank you for Correct. asking it. <laughs> Correct. Do I get a badge now? You do. I get my real podcast badge. So the difference in my mind, so simulation insinuates that you're recreating something from real life. In that model, realism is the primary foundation of what you're trying to do because you're trying to recreate a scenario that matches real life. In video games, you're not trying to recreate life. You're trying to abstract life. That is the major difference. And so when you're actually looking at our cardiology game, we don't focus on recreating everything you're doing. In fact, when we first made our Cardio X game, you would actually feed the wire like you would with your fingers in real life. You actually did that on the game. You actually would roll it between your fingers on the screen and you would advance it like you did in real life. And cardiologists told us, that's not the hard part of doing this. It's what's the order of the lesions you're going to do? What's the size stent you're going to use? How much pressure do you put behind it? You know, all that types of stuff. Pain point. What's that you find the pain point and you capitalize on the pain point. Got it. Correct. So we found that a click and drag was actually sufficient for them to do what they needed to do. But also instead of just having x-ray, you can have a snowscape or a firescape or when lesions are, when there's a perforation of the vessel, it's exploding and everything's going around you. And so there's a lot of interesting and opportunities that we get to abstract some events that happen in real life, but still you get the foundational knowledge of what you're doing because you can figure out what's happening, but it's not a one-to-one -one recreation of what is real life. In the grand scheme of things though, video games are simulations, right? I mean, especially when you're trying to recreate something that's real life, but simulation in the common world now for the last 15 to 20 years, people think of mannequins. And so when you think of these mannequin-based simulations or even team-based simulations, that's a very different thing than what we're trying to do with video games. And what we say is that simulations are meant to teach. Video games are meant to have fun. And in video games that you're trying to do medical content, the fun comes first, and then education is the unintended consequence of fun. And so it's a different perspective on how we're trying to engage people into this world by giving them fun first, but then, oh, wait, I can actually learn something through doing this, where simulation doesn't really care if you're having fun. So is that the same thing as gamification? That is a great, great question. <laughs> so how many buzzwords are we going to go through? You knocked that out of the park. You yeah, knocked that out of the park. Seriously. So I get a second badge now. The word gamification has become very popular, especially over the last probably 10 years or so. And the concept of gamification is a little bit different from the concept of games or even serious games, which is even a third category. The concept of gamification is that you can take elements of games and add it onto a experience with the hope of changing the motivation, changing the engagement, changing the fun of that experience. The best example of this is fitness apps, right? So fitness apps try to do badges. They try to give you point, experience points or, or XP and allows you to, wants you to use fitness as a game. And the hope is that it's going to be more interesting and more fun. The problem with gamification is that you usually take very disparate mechanics from games and disembody them from the game and apply it to something that it was never really meant to do. And it doesn't always work like that. The idea of competition, the idea of badges, the idea of experience points, some people are motivated by those things, but not everybody. 
And when you're introducing competition in games, that's not the primary driver of why people are playing those games. There is multiple feedback loops. There's multiple design that goes into video games to make them interesting and fun and makes you play them for hours on end. And competition isn't that main thing. So the problem is, is that gamification has had applications in everyday life. Think about loyalty programs. Loyalty programs, when they were started by American Airlines, was based on gamification principles. The idea was that if you were wanted to work towards more experience points, you would fly more, right? And so this is the concept that has now been ubiquitous in our world, but it doesn't always work because not everybody is motivated by those things. And so when you disembody game mechanics from themselves and from the core game loops, it doesn't always work. Whereas video games understand the deliberate design that goes into them and the psychology of why people are interested in doing things. And competition is an added layer or an outer loop of that experience. It is not the core experience itself. So with video games, you take something that's fun and what Level X does is then they add learning to it. What gamifying does is it takes learning, which is not fun, and they try to add some game aspects to it. But if it's not fun to begin with, it's still not fun. Absolutely. And in the games industry, they call it chocolate covered broccoli because it's the idea that you think it's going to be fun and you bite into it and still broccoli in the middle, which kids don't like. And so that has been a very well-known analogy in the games industry that gamification is just chocolate covered rock. So that gets to the core of who I am as a human being. And I'll tell the listeners a story from my childhood about my brother and I, who my brother's been on the show before. And my mother would always would feed us salad before dinner and there would always be raw broccoli. Gross, right? Nobody eats raw broccoli. So every so often she'd answer the phone before cell phone. We still had the rotary. That's how old we are. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so she would answer the phone and she'd leave the kitchen. And she'd go talk to whoever it was she was speaking to. And I would hand the broccoli to my brother who would then crouch down and chuck it to the back of a cabinet that was under the oven. So, you know, the oven went down pretty low and then there's really low cabinets that you could never reach anything in the back. So Chuck, so five, 10 years later, my parents are redoing the kitchen and they find all of this old broccoli. Oh my God. Not even the mice wanted, not even the bugs wanted. Like no, no one wanted anything to do with raw broccoli. So chocolate covered broccoli, feel you there. I get it. I get it. <laughs> oh my God. How much did your parents hate you when they found that? Oh, no, they thought it was because at this point it was so far past, you know, that part of our child picture, like six and an eight year old. And now you've got two teenagers, right? It was just funny. It was just funny. So, all right. So let's talk about the gear that's involved, right? Because it sounds like it could be extremely elaborate, but you guys have found a way to do it where it doesn't need to be. It has all of those learning points without being overwhelmed with the gear. Really, when we talked about simulation before and hardware, one of the things that you realize about hardware-based experiences is that you need the hardware. You need access to the hardware. And the games industry realized that when our, you know, we talked about arcades, they realized that access was a very big problem for people to want to play. And so it was a barrier. And so when Sam started the company, he said, it's so stupid. The games industry figured out 30 years ago, that if you put games on mobile devices and now on your cell phone, that you can get hundreds of millions of people, now billions of people to play video games. 
And the medical industry was still using simulation that was locked behind a door that needed a tech to turn it on and run it. This was never more apparent than during the pandemic when everything was locked up and people couldn't even access the simulation centers or actual patients. But Sam with the forethought said, I, number one, I want to increase access. So the games industry figured this out. So let's put it on a mobile phone and let's push the mobile phone to its limits as far as running software-based simulations or software-based content, which video games falls under. And then he said, I want it to be free. And the second you start adding hardware into any experience, it's not free anymore. We do stuff in virtual reality and do stuff in augmented reality, more augmented reality because there's mobile AR. But the second you have to buy a head-mounted display or use a haptic device, it's going to increase the cost and decrease access. And so that was really the foundation of the company when Sam founded it and something we persist today. We do integrate with other hardware. We do integrate with proprietary hardware. We can integrate with VR, like I said, and head-mounted display-based AR. But we try not to because, again, that's against core of what we're trying to do. So I can kind of see what happens next here. I've got like a war game scenario going on in my head <laughs> where Joshua is learning that you can't win at tic-tac-toe, but like the AI is going to then learn from physician decision-making in these different scenarios and then ultimately replace us. So it looks like, <laughs> Eric, thank you. The first step in creating our replacement. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, the good news is, is we don't use AI. We don't do any data set AI, but AI is very interesting. But you know, anybody who's smart people about AI, which I wouldn't know necessarily put myself in that bucket, but they know that doctors who use AI are going to replace those that don't. So I think the future is inevitable that AI will make our lives easier, but I don't think they're going to completely replace us as we go through this industrial evolution of the industrial revolution of AI integrating into healthcare. So what's next for LevelX? What are the specialties that you're looking to next? Ooh, that's a great question. Something of active discussion. You know, I think one of the things is there's a lot of needs out there, right? You know, there's a bunch of different specialties that have stuff. And we'd like to do every single specialty as much as humanly possible. We're spending a lot of time sort of, you know, making sure our apps are still applicable. We're adding content constantly, which was, you know, as you go into new specialties, you also want to make sure that those that have been loyalists and have been playing our games for a long time, which is now over 750,000 healthcare professionals in the U.S., you want to make sure that there's still live content because you don't want them to be content locked. You don't want them to run out of content to play. So we've done a lot of investment in doing what we call live ops. So increasing content over time for our apps and especially with dermatology. There's been a lot of specialties going around and I actually don't even know sometimes because again, I'm only there two days a week. I'm still you know, operating and seeing patients three days a week. So I know there was a bunch, but unfortunately, I don't think I can speak to it with any authority. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of opportunity. I think we always want to increase our tech. We also want to meet the needs of the healthcare professional as we expand. But, you know, the hope is, is that we'll be in multiple specialties, you know, going to multiple new specialties every year. That's the question. You dodged the question, but I like the way you answered it. <laughs> then you probably can't answer the next one. I honestly, I'm not even blowing smoke. I really don't know because it changes all the time. Yeah. It's, you got to figure it out. There's a lot of moving parts. Is it is the specialty big enough? Is it simple enough to create the, or what we're, is it something that we can turn into a mobile app so that, so then you're not sure when one that we really need, which is how to remove earwax from a writhing, screaming child. Yep. 
you're not sure when that's coming out because that's the one you and I need. Or doing the doing the hummingbird. If you want to strap your kids in and do a an office ear tube, I don't know when that one's coming down the line either. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see ENT, but you know, we're relatively small. What we're ten thousand in the U.S. compared to we're like one percent of the physician population, something like that. Yeah, we're a small percentage, so just the numbers unfortunately don't work out quite yet. But eventually we will because I think there's definitely need within ENT, but there's a lot of other specialties out there that I think are ripe for opportunity and ripe for need because there's not a lot of things. I think urology would be an interesting area to go into. I think when we're talking endoscopy, there's a ton of specialties that I think you can definitely simulate or recreate games on a phone for, which is really bread and butter for us. Yeah. So where can people find Level X and where can people find you? So people can find Level X on our website, www.levelex.com. You can also find us in the App Store and Google Play for any of our titles, Airway X, Gastro X, Palm X, Cardio X, and Top Derm is our newest game. And then you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Eric Gant, D-R-E-R-I-C-G-A-N-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn at the same. And just reach out. Please feel free to contact us if you're interested in learning more, learning more about me, chit-chatting about games, chit-chatting about education, anything. I would love to hear from you. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show again, because I would love to have you a conversation about educating physicians on how to educate other physicians. So I'm looking forward to that episode. One of my favorite topics, and maybe we can do it over bourbon at one of our houses. Yes. Yes. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, and we are not providing medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed, and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.